to Recorded Conversations, the podcast that's dedicated to compassionately considering all perspectives while engaging in authentic, connected dialogue. I'm Danielle Kingstrom. My guest today is Seth Price. He's the host of Can I Say This at Church podcast, and he's also a dear friend of mine. And today, the discussion turns political. In today's episode, Seth's going to make his plea for why voting is important, and I'm going to maintain my position as to why I've rejected voting. Now, even though Seth doesn't convince me to change my mind, I really appreciate his perspective, and I appreciate that he values the system in play of electing politicians and electing people to coordinate and organize our society. But here's the thing I really like about Seth. We have great conversations all the time, and even when we don't agree, it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, I always feel like, well, what I've always said. With Seth, it's like there's always a teachable moment, and I feel like in order to maintain a friendship with him, I have to always be learning. I used to joke and say being friends with you means that I'm always going to have homework, and I actually kind of appreciate it because Seth kind of helps me stretch my mind. He makes great arguments for voters' choice. He discusses uh, what he views as problematic with the voting system. He talks about how Trump is ignorant. And, you know, I'm not going to disagree with that. It's entirely possible Trump is ignorant. One of the questions that I posed to Seth that I don't know if we necessarily fully answer, but gave Seth an actual visceral physical reaction, was how is Donald Trump a gift to us, individually and collectively? Now, Seth and I also participate in a book study for Dr. Alexander Shia's book, Heart and Mind. And we've been embarking on a new new way to look at the Gospels and a new way to implement practices into our lives so that we can have a radical transformation. And one of the concepts introduced is the idea that everything is a gift. And I know I've talked about it before, and it's something that I I constantly battle in, in seeing how every single experience is a gift. The good, the bad, the ugly, all of it. And so what that means is that Donald Trump ultimately is a gift to us. And while I choose to go a snarky, sarcastic route regarding what I say about Trump exposing to us and what he gives to us as a gift, I do want to take it a little bit further and maybe a little bit deeper because I've since thought about it further after the recording and I kind of decided that I didn't like the answer that I gave. So the thing is, it's a difficult notion to come to terms with, this idea that Trump or any other figurehead or social idol that we see represented in our society as a gift, especially when we don't like them, especially when we disagree with them, especially when we feel like we're diametrically opposed to them in every way possible. But the thing is, is Donald Trump displays for us a potentiality of the capacity that we have as human beings. We all have the capacity to either be Mother Teresa or Donald Trump or Adolf Hitler. And I know that's a striking thing to say and it's a a crazy juxtaposition of people to compare, but the reality is we all have choice. And we all have choice to make good and bad decisions. And I think what Trump exposes to us, especially if you're attaching a lot of negative attributes to him, is he displays to you what can happen when you're ruled by the ego. Now, I am always the contrarian. I am always the devil's advocate. And there is a little bit of me that identifies with Trump in somewhat being an outlier. 
he is in an area that he is ignorant in. He's not a politician, he's a businessman. He's a schmoozer. He knows how to make contacts over cocktails. And he, he likes to schmooze and rub, rub elbows with other people who make the same amount of money as he does because that's what we all do. A lot of us kind of insulate ourselves with people that are like us and so that keeps us ignorant to the experience outside of what we know. And so I can resonate with that. And I don't know what it is, and I might just be a tortured soul, but I still want to see the good in him. I still want to know that there's a light of God that shines from within that just maybe needs to be chipped away. I don't know, maybe he needs a stronger battery so it can shine brighter. But Trump is the experience that we need to be awakened. And I'm stealing something that I recently heard Dr. Alexander Shia say on the Deconstructionist podcast. He just gave an interview because he just returned from his Camino. And his morning prayer all but invited difficulty and suffering as an experience to be granted to those who were walking the Camino so that their hearts could be awakened and the practice of compassion and liberation could be fulfilled. So that raises the question for me, how can this seemingly grotesque experience of Trump awaken our hearts? How can it awaken our hearts so that our practices of compassion and liberation can be fulfilled? For me, I'm going to take it a step further. How can I look at Trump and still see that there is a potential good in him and still understand why the negative is reflected? And if we go through and look at all of the people in all of our lives who have shared these experiences with us that have caused us pain, that have made us view them in a negative light, that have made us turn our backs on them, walk away from them, cut them out of our lives, is it because they were reflecting this potentiality of the the lowest part, the most vile, the crudest ways in which we can project ourselves as humans? And if that's what it is, then I think it demonstrates a fear. And I think we need to learn how to come to terms with that fear. And I don't know, I wish I would have expanded more and taken the question a little bit more seriously. But all in all, I think we had a great conversation surrounding that that answer. And um, so stand by, relax, turn up the volume, and listen to Seth and I have another recorded conversation and enjoy the show. Well, there we go. I'm going to see. Yep. Okay. Picking up sound waves. Good. So let me hear your talk, Seth. Let me hear me talk. If you yeah. hear to hip hop, to the hippie, the hip hop, up, jump, the boogie, the whatever. Oh, is that the song you got fresh on your mind? It's not Truth Hurts? Or Lizzo? <laughs> I'm telling you. She's sitting there making um, chicken noodle soup. And, I, and she's sitting there. I'm like, what? Who are you? She's like, I know things. <laughs> whatever. I, I was that. really surprised that Alexa was playing it because we have the filter way down so that the four-year-old can't turn on something that I'm not really prepared for. Explicit? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how does this flip through? Because I know there's the one that bomb in here. Uh, but it doesn't really sound like it. It just sounds like she grunts or something. Like, unless you're reading the lyrics, <laughs> it doesn't really sound like that. Anyway, side, side band. But yeah. I was at the grocery store when I got your, when I got your message and I was like, that's awesome. Just yeah. My husband always looks at me funny because when we first started dating, he was like, I hate rap. 
And I was like, oh, well, what do you like? And he told me like country. And I was kind of like, I I don't do country. And he was just like, I don't do rap. And so I was like, fine, I'll do country. (laughs) And so I would hide rap from him. I'd almost be embarrassed about it for a while. And like, he'd come home. (laughs) Yes, yes. No, I would shut it off right away as soon as he got Mm. home. Cause I would just be embarrassed, like, oh, he's listening to me jam out to like Usher and Aliyah and stuff, and 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 That's um, not no, 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 just <laughs> I, I was gonna say and R and B too, cause he was just like not into it. And I'm like, that's all I listen to. And then after a while, I was like, you know what? I think you might like rap. And our kids were listening to rap. And I had two, I have two older kids from a previous relationship, and I was like, y'all are gonna learn my music because my music's good. Mm-hmm. And, and also, he it's was my just, car, so you're gonna listen to it exactly. Exactly. And um, no, but now he likes rap. So and he, and I got him listening to he really likes Panic at the Disco right now. All of our kids really like Panic at the Disco. I will say Brendan Nuri can sing the crap out of whatever he happens to be singing. Yeah, he's, I love him. And he's I think so many of his songs are so encouraging, like uh, High Hopes is like the if that song comes on. Everyone in the car is just jamming and singing along. has got to have high, high hopes for Mm-hmm. Something for a living, yeah. I know the song you're talking Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good song. Yeah, yeah. All my kids have that song memorized. My it's awesome listening to. My them. son listens pretty much to rap music exclusively, and it's my fault. Yeah. But I don't care. I love it. So we actually yeah. took him when he was eight to King's Dominion. I don't. You know what King's Dominion is? It's like no. a Six Flags, but much smaller. Like it's just oh, okay. Like, like a, okay. like a, we got like a valley fair. Yeah, something like that. But there's it's year round. But they um will bring what's called King's Fest, and they're it's like a it's like a tour of Christian music or whatever. But Andy Minio, who is he's happens to be a Christian, but I don't think he makes Christian rap. Like he's he's it's pretty good. Um, I'll, I'll send you a few. Like it's he deals with some stuff, but that's like his favorite artist. Matter of fact, the other day he's like, "Do I have extra money? Can you put it on my iTunes? I want to buy." the new Andy Minio. I was like, did you know there was one? He's like, yeah, it dropped yesterday. I was like, okay. Let's, okay. let's buy it. And I, I had to give him a few extra I, dollars, but that's fine. I love click, it. Click the button, hit the thing. Yeah. No, I like Lecrae and I don't know how Christian he is. Mm, depends on which, depends to what, on what Lecrae you're listening to when he decided, I guess so. And he decided, screw y'all. I'm going to rap about whatever I want to rap about. Maybe. I don't, I don't know what I, to, to tell you the name of half of the songs I listen to, I would not be able to do. I just don't pay. I just, I know the song. The song comes on. I know it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah. So we're not talking about music in this episode. That's, uh-huh. that's for another episode. We, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> we're talking about politics Let's today. Let's do it. Let's do it. So where do you want to start? You ready for the voting or do you want to talk about that? That one question I asked you that gave you a visceral physical reaction. <laughs> I <laughs> um, uh, it doesn't matter. Um, you whipping your notes out? <laughs> no, no. Oh. There, well, I do have one thing that I wrote down. I just have to pull it out of my notes. Regardless of where the things go, it is a... Hold on. I can't find it. Here it is. It's a legislation in Virginia for the way I think voting should be uh, that got tabled in December or uh, January that is now up for when they come back in session, um, which was a few days what is ago. It? Uh, it's on ranked choice, but we will get there if the conversation goes there. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. It's up to you. You run so, the show. You, you ask, you do whatever you want to do. We'll do it. 
Okay, well, have you been paying attention to the impeachment hearings, proceedings, or the preliminary discussions? Um, I have gotten more comedic value out of the SNL skits of them than I have. I haven't seen those. Oh, my. (laughs) The most recent one has the girl that played Hillary, Mm -hmm. and then she also plays Elizabeth um, Warren, Mm -hmm. whatever her name is. She's, she's, but she plays Rudy, which really you wouldn't think works, but it does. And some other, but every it's, it's, it's overly bombastic. And so like mm-hmm. Alexandria octasio Kess just shows up for no good reason. And I'm sure I said her name wrong. And she, this woman like whips her hair down and there's fans blowing. And she's like, we need some fanciness or whatever it is. It's, it just makes me laugh. But no, uh, I, I honestly have more crap to worry about than mm-hmm. watching that. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm fine with him doing it. I don't care. But anyway, yeah. That's that's good I'm, to hear, I'm actually. I'm familiar with that it's happening, and I know what they're talking yeah. about. But I really have other things to do than watch that. Yeah. Yeah. When I want to know what's going on with the impeachment, I turn on Glenn Beck, mm-hmm. and I listen to him. And then I'll hop over to CNN if I'm at all interested. I usually turn on further. Mm, no, I don't really mm. usually go there. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Hmm, I'll have to consider that. But then I then I realize I've spent twenty or thirty minutes listening to it, and I and I think I don't I don't care. <laughs> and so, <laughs> I but I think well, I might be prepared if a conversation arises over lunch or something. Um, well, let's talk about Trump being a gift because I've been marinating this question too, and I mean I have some. Some areas I can I can uh, drive towards, but I'm really interested in how you came to decide on if you can accept that. <laughs> so <laughs> um, you're already recording, yes? Yeah. So for those that don't know what you're talking about, because you're framing it mm. under the heart and mind thing, right? Yes. Can you frame it then? Just so that I make yes. sure I'm okay. answering the question that you're actually asking. Yes. So the the book study we were both <laughs> participating in from Alexander Shia's Heart and Mind, the Radical Four Gospel Journey to Transformation. I mix I messed that up. The Four Gospel Journey to Radical Transformation. Yeah. Yeah. Did yeah. I get it? Four. Okay, I got it. Four radical transformation. That was close. Yes, four. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so on these paths you were to hold one of the the processes, one of the things you have to come to terms with is seeing everything that happens as a gift. Every bad thing that happens is a gift. Every chaotic event is a gift. And so with that in mind, in reconciling how everything is a gift, I thought we should consider how Trump is a gift mm. to us individually and to us collectively. Mm. So yeah, uh, I still <laughs> have the same. If people can see You're the like, video... Ugh. Um, so let me say this before Trump, I would often vote Republican more often than not. And I still sometimes do. Oh, absolutely. I'm a matter of fact in the last election, which I voted in. So on the score of those that voted on the podcast, I'm already winning. Um, cause I know you didn't, at least I don't think you did. Um, I, I voted. This would be like the fifth. Yeah. 2016. I did vote, but that was the last vote. Yeah, I, so see, I, I it were, it's a cumulative scorecard. And so I'm winning. Yeah. It's cumulative. Okay. Anyway. There you go. You're winning. <laughs> um, no, I think I voted for two Republicans, three Democrats and two independents in the last election, mm. like literally just a few weeks ago. 
because I don't really mm-hmm. vote based on party. Although prior to Trump, I did. And so mm. that is one of the things that I'm thankful for. Um, the He's a gift because it has allowed me to draw a line in the sand on what I do and don't find acceptable. Um, and then mm. it has also allowed me to realize that most people that voted for Trump um, also have different lines in the sand. And as I get further away from the election, I realize that everybody's lines matter. So that's what I'm thankful for. Now, as a country, I don't know, because I genuinely think he's damaging the country um, in either a direct way or in an indirect way, as he builds um, unappointed, unvoted on sycophants in his secretary cabinet that are uh, in no way, shape or form anything other than temporary on his cascading wheel of leadership. And so that is damaging both at Uh. a global level as well as a local level, because with a lack of leadership, things just go crazy. And we're not talking about a Hardee's franchise. We're talking about a government that is a world superpower. And Mm. whether or not you agree with what people do, you kind of need to know who is not the interim secretary of whatever. Like you need permanent positions that aren't just appointed and then fired at a whim. I think he's up to like what, 14 or 15 different cabinet members in three years. So, well, okay. I can see that. Yeah. So but I'm, I'm not necessarily thankful you, for that, but. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, don't you think though, that politics has become a heck of a lot more than what was intended for politics to be. I mean, when you consider how elected representatives used to operate, It wasn't they got up, you know, for what is it, eight months out of the year and went to this office as the representative of the Senate or the House. It was they'd get together once in a while when there was a vote that needed to be casted, but they had other day jobs and they didn't milk taxpayer dollars as their salary. They had their own jobs. They were, you know, they provided for themselves and now they depend on this. And I don't know, I think I think maybe the high turnover rate does reflect a fast food restaurant more than it should a serious office of integrity that represents something. But I don't know, isn't he also showing like kind of kind of what a joke the government is? Do you, do you see that at all? I feel like he's exposing a lot of the BS that used to be covered up with civility in suits. And he's a reality star. And so he knows where the climactic points are and what's going to get people interested in. And I think what he's doing is he's kind of, I feel like he's exposing what a sham the government is and kicking all these people out, like showing them like, this isn't a career, you know, you have a make it or break it. And if you can't hack it, get out. And instead we have all these politicians who invest, you know, decades and decades and decades into this, and they're never really doing anything except getting a paycheck. And I don't know, for me, I think what the gift is, is he's exposing kind of what a joke it is. Like, oh, yeah, this is like some cray cray shit, but this is kind of like how it is at the gas station with all those employees, too. Mm. Like, there's so much crazy stuff going on and it's been covered up so much. And I think the media helps try and cover it up and they just can't you, you just you can't get enough shields up against Trump because he comes from everywhere. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, so I don't. I do agree that there are aspects of the government that are a joke. Um, however, I don't want to participate in a, I'll use a sports metaphor. Nobody wants to be the Cleveland Browns and no one wants to be on that team 
Everybody's happy to make the paycheck though. Um, and I don't necessarily want, uh, uh, what's the word I want to look for? A cartoonish president that is the extreme of, I, I would argue, uh, ignorance. Cause I don't think he's stupid. Um, but I do yeah. think he's extremely ignorant. Uh, oh yeah, uh, I'll give you that. And, and that is dangerous alluding back to my prior point, when you don't have smart people around you or when you fire people that disagree with you. Yeah. And so, but I also live here. Like I tell people at the bank all the time, I really want him to do well. I live here. Yeah. My kids live here. Uh, It's my trillion dollar deficit. Like I, I really do want him to do well. He's just not. Um, Mm. it, It just is. It isn't. It just doesn't. Um, yeah. But no. So, okay. Yeah, but, but yeah, I don't want there to be, there are aspects of the government that are a joke, but there are aspects of every big bureaucracy that are a joke. Uh, that doesn't oh, yeah. mean, though, that we elevate those to the matter of importance at a national level, such as the presidency. Um, yeah. But luckily, we have uh, checks and balances in that, and Congress can choose to not pass laws, which is what they do, because they just bicker all day. So they can choose to not. I don't know. They kind of they pass a lot of laws. <laughs> I don't know how many have they passed this year. I feel like it's like um, sixty-one, something like that. I saw a report, and that might be a, a wrong number, but I remember reading. But do a we need? Do we need sixty laws passed every year? Most of them aren't new. They're revisions of prior. I know, but that's redundancy. Wait, you know what I mean? Like maybe it not, depends on what so they're removing. This is, this is my view. Like, they're never really going to solve the problems because if they Lost, solve some of the problems. There you go. This is my, I heard last, you- last thing I heard was this is my view. Okay. I don't think they're ever going to solve problems. Okay. If they solve problems, what are they going to campaign on? And hmm. so they draft new laws and they create new revisions to the old laws. And then now all of a sudden they have all of these new people to paint as the bad guy for breaking the revised laws that they probably didn't even know were revised. And it's just like, we have to perpetuate all these problems because otherwise, what are you going to elect me to do? Give me three examples or two, even. I don't um, really care. One, 17. 17. <laughs> I think all of them, I think everything they speak to, I think everything they claim they're going to solve is a problem. They have to, they actually have to make it a bigger problem in order to go and solve it, which is what is happening with Obamacare primarily from my view and i'm on the state insurance program it's shit Mm -hmm. it's bullshit i don't and i don't even go to the doctor it's so much bullshit in just the paperwork like okay so for a whole year i sent them payments every single month and they cashed all of my checks and i sent them with a copy of a statement because i didn't get a bill well they told me they were still processing they hadn't worked out the bill yet the bill goes up every year the bill is, is going to come. It's going to come. Well, we've had delays in the past. Keep sending the check. Well, guess what happens at the, when I finally do go to the doctor at the end of the year? You're not insured. What? <laughs> uh, you cashed every check for the last nine months. I'm not insured. No. Excuse me. You never sent in your forms. Oh, I have proof I sent in my forms. And so then tax season comes around. I don't have any coverage to claim. Hmm. And so I got a fine. And I'm like, how how and it never got rectified we had to pay a fine because it allegedly stated that we were we were not covered and so the i think there's a there's a tax fine of like fifteen hundred dollars or something 
Our CPA managed to get one taken away. We had to sit, I mean, hours on the phone to fix stuff. It's a problem. Well, now they're introducing this Medicare for all because now if we just take all people's choices away and give them all one system, oh, it's going to be better. Are you kidding me right now? No, it will not. I, I, every September, I have to send in my forms every year. You have to renew every year. Mm-hmm. I just every renewed year. Mine. Yeah, with my employer. But Such a pain thing. in the ass. Well, I, I don't ever recall doing that before when I got to pick my insurance. Like I, I select my insurance and until I tell you otherwise, I'm not making changes and let's just keep going. No, absolutely not. Yeah. Um, every company I've worked for since the Affordable Health Care Act passed. Um, and I use that verb on purpose uh, because Obamacare is- I haven't worked since then is, either. Yeah. Ever since it passed. So when that passed, uh, my wife's insurance actually kicked me off. And the paraphrase of the letter was, we can't really afford to subsidize- your spouse and or partner if they work at a place that has their home own insurance. So you're going to need to certify that they don't work. Like if I was self-employed or worked for, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, whatever worked for myself or something like that. Um, then I could be on her insurance at the hospital. But if I worked at a place that had insurance, sorry, bro, you're gonna have to get your own insurance. So we actually double pay for insurance and it's the exact same insurance. Um, it's not quite the same cause I don't have the kids, but it's basically the same. Um, but isn't that yeah. ridiculous? All oh, these yeah. systems they put in. And I think the government has no business in healthcare, period. End of story. That it's not in the Constitution. I, I, and I wish we would get back to pain. I'm jumping all over the place. This whole topic makes me really upset. <laughs> but it's like, is it healthy? I don't want you to be upset. It might be beneficial Fair enough. to let it out. <laughs> yeah, there's some good psychology behind that, I think. No, I'm just saying, okay, we'll just backtrack a little bit, pull back. The government gets involved in all of these systems and they essentially screw it up. And it just reinforces this idea that we've allowed them to get this big and to have this much control, which is why I don't vote anymore, because I don't want to participate in electing and supporting this kind of system that at the end of the day, whatever they say goes and I don't have a choice. And my vote doesn't always actually count. The rich people control the votes. And we know that. Okay. And I don't have that kind of money. You know what I mean? Like we don't have that bargaining power. I have a question as it relates to government controlling industry. Um, And I can't remember what constitutional amendment it is, but uh, they do have constitutional power to regulate interstate commerce. I think that happened during one of the world wars, right when they were building the interstate highway, I think it was Eisenhower. And I don't know which world war that was because American history is not my thing. But they do have the right to regulate. They do have the constitutional right to regulate interstate commerce. And so as long as your health insurance stays within the state, and I might be speaking out of turn, I might actually be wrong as well. I don't think that I am, but I might be. Uh, Unless your insurance stays within the state that you're in, they couldn't regulate it. But then that insurance company couldn't insure members that lived outside and they're driven to make profits. So my question would be this. So um, if the government messes everything that it screws up, are you also implying that free market or capitalism or whatever you want to call it inherently usually gets it right? And if so, what about companies like Amazon? Because it's awful the way that they treat their employees and the way that it drives profit margins at the risk of everything else. Um, And there are so many other industries that are massive that don't do things the right way, that do actually create less wealth overall to drive a shareholder price. That honestly, a lot of people, like for instance, uh, Henry Ford, he on purpose instituted a four-hour work week and all these other things so that his employees could actually buy his cars because he understood if I do this, if I hurt the company, it will be better. But most businesses don't anymore. 
Uh, and so when you have businesses mm. that won't, because they have a legal and fiduciary obligation since they're on the stock market to create money, they have a legal obligation to create money. Can't not make money if you're on the stock market. Have to. The inverse is to drive down wages or costs or anything else. Mm-hmm. So who else fixes that? If I have a legal obligation as Danielle Kingstrom Incorporated, and I want to do whatever I can to make money because I legally have to, and there's a million people that work for you, what do you do? Who keeps you in check? Because if you're as big as Amazon, nobody does. Nobody can. <laughs> Correct. And even if right. you broke them up, they'd have five monopolies because they own so much infrastructure. Yeah. So well, yeah. how would you? Yeah, so, so I want to flip that question. If it's not the government, who is it? Mm, well, I don't put a lot of faith in in the the corporate infrastructure either. I think they're they're too big to fail, and I think too many people depend on what they provide. But who regulates? And it? well, the government claims to regulate it, but is that the is that you really the case, like the or is it, it the was. corporate? No, but I know. But who has the constant question? And I don't know. I know they're both powerful systems and both of them are worldly systems that I'm just really not trying to mess with, (laughs) which is why I don't mess with. I criticize, but I don't mess with it. What I see is is, is my own question that goes unanswered is who really has the influence over who? Mm -hmm. You know, is it corporate America over the government or is the government over corporate America? And then I, I do accept that they're both over me. Hmm. I mean, they both want to operate over me. They both want to control me. They both want to get me hooked and addicted to whatever it is they have to offer. And they want that with everyone. I mean, and that's what social media wants of us as well. Absolutely. How can we get you hooked and addicted? And they're just systems. Systems run by people. Systems that I think we're called to reject in as many forms as we can, which is, again, why I don't vote. Yeah. And, and that was just a recent installment for me i mean i it, it was literally yeah three years so, so and changed? after that what made you wake up the, after the election trump being elected made me realize what a joke it was uh-huh. and i know there was that similar sentiment when ronald reagan was elected mm-hmm. i remember hearing that sentiment from the dfls of my family you know um i don't know that acronym. never what's a dfl democrat for life is the, that what that is Democrat farmer laborers for farmers and laborers. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's, in, we got it in Minnesota, the <laughs> DFL, but well, cause typically farmers voted Democrat. So I'm hmm. um, in the blue collar workers. We're all Democrat around here, especially in, in rural Are Minnesota. Mm-mm. Hmm. No, a lot of them have flipped. They're all Republicans now and independent. But I mean, some of our counties are split in half too. No, it was just after Trump. I just went, <laughs> this is a joke. And I voted for Johnson. But it was it was just it's a joke. And then I discovered uh, Jacques Ellul, who is a French philosopher and theologian, and he wrote a book called Anarchy and Christianity. Oh, is it Christianity and Anarchy? Anarchy and Christianity. Um, and I started reading that a few years ago, and so I don't know. And I was okay with it. I don't know it. anything about that book. So how did that help push you in the direction? Um, he well, you know, he breaks down anarchy, and I was actually. I wasn't drawn to um, any kind of theological concept. I was researching anarchy um, just because, I don't know, it was hanging out in libertarian groups and then you find these minarchists and these anarcho-capitalists and I, I didn't know what anarchy was really. And I think a lot of people hear anarchy and they think one thing, but it's not what most people, like what I think some people say the Antifa group is anarchist, but they're really not. So what he does is he breaks down anarchy and he makes his argument for why it's okay for a Christian to be an anarchist because 
considerable amount of anarchists reject Christians, like period, end of story, because that's your master, that's your God. And anarchy's whole ideology is we have no master. And in some regard, and what Jacques Ellul points to is anarchy is like the purest form of socialism, which I actually never had considered before until I read him. I had never really seen that it went that far to the radical left. And it wasn't a, it's not a, it's not a negative radical um, position on the spectrum, but it was something that would be easier actualized in real life. And it removes the government. And that really drew me in. And I think I was looking at, uh, what is it called? Agrarianism? Mm -hmm. Is that it? I had seen a lot of people supporting such an idea. And I thought, well, you know, we live in this small community and these small communities are all about reestablishing and revitalizing themselves. And I thought, why did people stop settling new communities? And so this agrarianism kind of like drew me in with this anarchist view. And for you know, us here, just me here and with my family, we kind of feel like in the area we have our own kind of anti-dependency on the system kind of neighborhood thing going on mm-hmm. where we all depend on each other. We all help each other out. And that's the kind of system that, I mean, I've been in the longest that that really resonates and speaks to me. And so Jacques Ellul really speaks. He exposes what anarchy really is. And it's he lays it next to biblical texts and he shows you in so many different depictions, how, you know, Jesus was representing this. So it's funny because I used to, I always push back against people who were like, Jesus was a socialist. And I'm like, no, let's not put in that. Jesus was a conservative. No, Jesus was an anarchist. Yes, he was. You know, that's like that one label I'm willing to like bend with if people understood the concept as presented by Alul, especially. It's, it's a utopia that can never exist really here. Like I, I don't have any false ideals about it. I don't think it's something we could put into practice because people are human, mm-hmm. which means people are assholes, essentially. Mm-hmm. And eventually, you know, being an asshole doesn't work with being an anarchist. So I probably didn't answer any of your yeah, questions. I have a but... few more. So oh, okay. uh, I don't think Jesus cared about any political system. So I'm happy. I agree. I'm happy to call him you can call him every political system if you want, or you can call him none of them. I don't care. Yeah. I know that most political systems are concerned with power, and mm-hmm. uh, he was offered that. And then, yeah, about that, you don't even have the power to offer me the power that you think that you're offering me. So I'm going to go ahead and say no, except for the question that you're asking me about this power you're trying to give me isn't even a question that you get to ask because it wasn't yours. So, yeah, I'd be happy to call Jesus any of that. I, I want to go back to voting. So, um, I do vote and I don't, but I vote on principle. So I pick, mostly I vote in every single local election. My vote doesn't really have, I have better chance of winning the lottery than my vote swaying an actual vote in the presidential election, at least under the current system, which I would argue we need to do away with, but we can go there. But in the local ones, for instance, the one that I just voted on, the guy that won school board, which greatly impacts my family, greatly um, I think he won by seven votes uh, be- mm. because it's that's the way that this, those work. And yeah. so at a micro and a local level, voting is extremely important, which is the reason that I, mm. I I go to every single election that I can. I usually vote early. I don't normally go to the election or to, to the to the polling booth. I just vote early because I have crap to do um, and I do my homework. But I'm also that guy that every Friday and every Monday I go to the House of Delegates here for uh, Richmond. 
and I go to the House of Representatives and I call my congressman and tell him what I think about every single vote that is up on the floor for that week. Uh. Because you represent me. So if you were my rep, Daniel, like I will tell you what I believe and then I will tell you, I expect you to make an educated decision even if it doesn't go with the party because you represent me. I don't expect you to agree with me because you also represent my neighbor and my neighbor and my neighbor and my neighbor, but you do represent me. And so you will know what I have to think. I call every single week, sometimes twice a week, enough so that they usually duck me in those parades. Um, Yeah. So at a local level, voting, I think, matters tremendously. Matter of fact, I did some homework on yours. There was an unopposed measure for school ballots for everyone that lives in the county that has to up to taxes. I forget what it was, but it looked in your county to see what was on the ballot. Uh, And I'm pretty sure it passed, which probably means your tax bill will go up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Those are the idiots in town. Yeah. I don't think I, it passed I, by I, many because I, I think your population is like 1,560 or something like that. So I don't think it yeah. passed by many, but it may not have passed. Uh, you know what I mean? So I don't even at, know if my husband voted on that. At one. a local level, your vote absolutely does matter at a state. But as you yeah. get further up the, the funnel, you know, water at the top of the funnel is way more diluted than water at the bottom. And the local level is the bottom of the funnel. And the higher you get to the top, and that's a metaphor I just made up, but it makes sense in my head, the more diluted your vote is. However, I would change the way we do elections altogether. I think we should get rid of the electoral college. Uh, I'm actually fine with the electoral college. I find it stupid, but I'm fine with it. And I understand the logic behind it. I think it worked better when we had 13 to 14 states and or colonies. It worked a lot better when only white people with land could vote. It wasn't really ever intended to handle 300 million people. Uh, the same thing with the House of Representatives, though. Like It used to be a portion where this representative represents this many tens of thousands of people, which works really well when, again, it's only white landowners that can vote. But it's the, the math never scaled up. Like There should be thousands of representatives, and there's not. Um, that way, mm. your vote still does have a voice. The way that it is that now. That sounds like thousands of salaries for people. No, no. I would agree with what you said at the very beginning. I don't think people should be a career in politician. You should yeah. serve for mm. a time and then you're done. You should serve. But you, not like a draft. No, you're elected. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's the way they, okay. yeah, that's the way that they used to do it. You're absolutely right. I liked when yeah. the senators were still appointed by the governor because then when the state elections held, the Senate actually represented the state as opposed to six-year term representatives, which is effectively what they are now. They don't represent Mm -hmm. the state anymore because they're not appointed by the state. Um, No, they're representing their interests now. Yeah. And they'll say it's mine, except for they know that they're going to outlive the presidential election. And people are so stupid that they have short memories because Facebook tells them what to be mad about. So Mm, yeah. Yeah. No, I would do, I don't know if you're familiar with ranked choice voting. No. So if, I'm not. if I was to change it, so I'm going to tell you what I would change and I'm probably going to do it poorly because I don't have their entire platform memorized, but there is an organization called Fair Vote. They actually had a bill presented uh, a year and a half ago when my congressman, uh, Bob Goodlot, was the chair of the House Judiciary Committee. And for those that are listening that aren't familiar with how important the House is, a bill doesn't go to the floor to be voted on if it doesn't get out of the House Judiciary Committee. They look at Mm -hmm. it and go, is it constitutional? Is it illegal? Is it ethical? Is it racist? Is it economical? Like they look at all that, they weigh it versus the constitution and then go, now we can vote on this. But until it comes Mm -hmm. out of that committee, it doesn't exist. It's like a baby in utero. Well, that's a bad metaphor, but you know what I mean? Like it's, it's not breathing. (laughs) It's not breathing. 
Um, and he killed the bill. Um, I forget what it is. HR 1057, 1059, something like that. Um, that was one that I actually at one time hand wrote seven handwritten letters to Sandler. And I mailed them to every single office because he wouldn't return my phone calls because I genuinely yeah. had questions about why it had been on his part of the Kennedy for eight months, why he had not moved it forward any part of the process. Um, and so what the fair rep vote did and what I would argue I agree with, although I tweak it slightly, they get rid of gerrymandering. Uh, they don't change the electoral college and it would actually change everything except for the presidential election because the presidential election would have to be a change to the constitution and there mm. that you can't, that's a bigger thing. Um, how many representatives do you have in your state? I don't know. To the Google, because this matters. Um, I'll just do it. It does? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Virginia, uh, I'll just do Virginia um, representatives. How many do I have in Virginia? We I, have too many. I, Let's put it that way. I don't know how many we One have. One is too many. Um, Virginia has, you know, whatever. Let's just say Virginia has 10. <laughs> 10. Virginia, okay. so do you. You have 10. Even pretty number. Whatever we have 10. it is. So. What they do is they go in based on the census and they try equally to apportion that into two to three super districts. So mm -hmm. you no longer live in some small little district. It's massive. Inside that district, candidates may be, there may be 20 candidates running, maybe 10, like, like the Democratic primary right now, like a massive amount of mm -hmm. candidates running. And there usually are at the primary level before you get to the, to the, to the main event. To win, so you still are going to send as a state to the representatives the exact same amount of people that you always send because the House of Representatives, it, whether or not you want to vote, it's still going to function. It's still going to be there. It's, it's going to be a thing. However, it's not winner takes all. And so if a Republican wins or if a Democrat wins, that's fine. Except for we have for your state, Daniel, we've got five and five. This half of the state or that half or four and four, however you want to break it up. To send more than two representatives, you must get 50% of the vote in your in your area. And it's a massive mm -hmm. area. Like in Virginia, I think it broke up the entire state into three areas. And they're huge areas. They actually have every mm -hmm. state mapped out based upon the last census to make it pretty much the most. This is what the state looks like. Like if we were to divvy, divvy it up per population, here's what it is. Here, no, just not arbitrary lines. It's, here's what it is. looks like a pie wheel or whatever. And then after that... Every other minority party always gets a seat at the House. And so every person that votes does have someone that represents their viewpoints in the House as opposed to winner take all. And so if you're sending 10 and mm -hmm. one Republican candidate gets 40 percent of the vote, the next candidate is the Green Party and they get 30 percent. And then you just keep rolling on down until all of the slots are fixed and you do it in ranked choice voting. And so Danielle would come up and say, I really like this guy. Love the jib, the cut of his jib. This person, not feeling it. She's crazy. I can live with this person right here. This one person, they're new to the game. I like their ideas. Let's put them up at number two. Don't quite like them as much as number one. And everything is ranked choice voided. And if you don't meet a certain mm. minimum threshold, all those votes now go to Danielle's second choice, and they're all reapportioned. But again, unless you have a 50% of the popular vote for the area that you live in, you can't have two seats which realistically means you could have five different parties represented in the House of Representatives for your portion of the state. Hmm. Everybody's viewpoints are expressed. What that means is you have more bridge makers, people that aren't just Republican for life or Democrat for life. You have people in the middle because you have so hmm. many different viewpoints. And I think with that many point of views, you'll get compromise. Things actually happen. It's not a joke that a reality star can play. Like it's a real thing. Would that make you vote if you had some form of a voice? 
No, but I like that. Yeah. And I think I would... I, I, yeah, I'm just not voting. Yeah. I'm just not. I just... Voting should be taken seriously, and I don't think people do their research. And so when I was a voter, I was doing a lot of research, but I just got to the point where I was like, I don't want to be involved in this anymore. So it's that too. It's just, it doesn't interest me anymore. It was something I really enjoyed having as a part of my life and and being something that I was interested in and talking about. There's so much division involved in politics that for me... I pay attention to it, obviously. I do the podcast and I write, so I have to pay attention. And I enjoy paying attention, but I got too absorbed in it. And I think that happens with a lot of people. You start self-identifying with the political positions you have. You know, in the workplace that I was in, when I was at like the height of like, I would say my obsession with politics, it was so divisive and you created enemies right there within the office because you were so opposed to each other. And then to see what happened after the whole Trump-Clinton election and watching literal families that I know fall apart Mm -hmm. based on, and I just thought, you know what? This is a sickness that's plaguing people that I just, I'm not going to purposely infect myself with. And so I I made the the conscious decision to just kind of remove myself from it. Keep it surf, superficial. I'll pay attention to some of the... And I like to joke about stuff and get snarky and then like point out to something like, see, this is why we're told to, you know, keep our eyes on, 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 on the kingdom. You know, this world junk messes with all of us and it's chaos and it's distraction and this whole Greg Boyd's idea of the the principle of proportionality. There's the intention that the government is to do good, but with the ability to do good, evil's right there and can happen. And I just don't want to participate with that. I don't want to be like a conscious voter towards that. Because I think once that vote is cast, you're basically saying everything you do with all of the tax dollars, with all the decisions you make, I've voted for it. Mm, that's why I whether call or not I agree. Huh, that's but I am aware yeah, that I am the minority. Who's got that kind of time, Seth? It doesn't take like, that much. Come on, you don't ever talk to the representative. <laughs> it takes three minutes. You talk to a staff. Yeah, because the, they don't call you back yeah. apparently. Uh, well, but they get to where they know your name. Um, I can promise oh, you, Ben. They're like, nope, don't put him through. <laughs> I can promise you, Ben Klein does know my name. I think I. So he was elected last November, and I think I've called. Aren't him. you friends with him on Facebook? No, not Ben Klein. I doubt it. I'm oh, probably blocked. Oh. I don't know if a congressman oh. can block you, but what's funny is oh. I don't ever call him out on anything. Um, although we don't agree on much, he still represents. You just me. ask him questions. I literally call. Hey, curious what your viewpoints. Are. Like for instance, I called him on the impeachment hearings and told him, mm. I expect you to make a decision like this was you observing your children vicar about who who hit who look at it mm. and weigh it and you love everybody here we're all americans quote unquote but somebody did something whether or not you want to like this is not a political thing this is not mm. nor is it a criminal one which makes me laugh when trump starts talking about all these things i'm like you don't get due process when this isn't a criminal trial so um, makes me laugh. You're like, no, Trumpy. I, I had a friend, he's like, well, he should be getting this. He should. I'm like, that only works when you're in a trial. And this isn't that. I was like, effectively, what you're getting right now is like all the pretrial work that lawyers do before someone goes to trial, um, which is when it's in the Senate. But even that's not really a criminal trial. That's just a, you're fired. You're fired. Yeah. I, I, I just really, if he does end up getting impeached, this is an aside, I would love for somebody just to play the, you're fired. You're fired. From the, from the show. It would make me Man, laugh. So remember much. the days we used to all love that little tagline, and now we're like, oh, I I've don't. never, I've never been a fan of Trump ever. 
Oh, I love the tagline. I never watched the show. I just like you're fired. I also. I think I said that to my husband all the time. I also don't think I've ever watched the show. No. Uh Uh-uh. I can't do reality shows at all. They're, I might as well just go watch my kids play Barbies <laughs> or something. You know, it's like, why are we sitting around just watching that? I, I can't. I used to. I mean, there were some, the real world on MTV when I that, I was hooked on can't do it. every episode. Well, I watched it as it, you know, it premiered and I watched every episode. And after that, I was like, nope, this is just like literally watching myself do stuff sometimes. It's stupid. The only reality I show can't. I've watched recently is, I think it's called Songland. Songland. It's a hard word. So to people say. sing. So no. So it has uh, it has singer songwriters come in, and I'm sure they audition. There's some way to make their way up through the ranks, and then they come in. And so I'm just going to list out some artists off the top of my head. So you have, uh, you know, uh, John Legend off the top top yeah, of your head. Yeah, no. <laughs> I don't know many artists in there. You'd have John Legend come in, or like Taylor Swift, or who else was in it? The Jonas Brothers, and effectively people Lizzo? audition. Sure, absolutely. People audition okay. their songs for them. <laughs> And in that room is a bunch of, like, there's three or four different groups that literally are the people that in Nashville or wherever, they help people rework songs so that songwriters can sell them as for, to make a living. Like, they're on those teams. Mm. And they play these for the artist that's going to buy the song. And then they're like, yeah, I kind of like it. And then they vote on, out of four songs, we're going to work on these three. Y'all go in with these other people, help rework it. You kind of watch the artist would go back through it, change the bass lines, change the melody. Maybe we give this less of a techno flair. Maybe we give it more of this or whatever. They come back and play it again. And then the artist literally is like, that's my next song right then. And then like that night, they like debut it. It's on iTunes. Like that's the, that's the record track. And so you get to watch huh. these people write songs and then perform them. And then they get bought and watch the whole process, uh, which is kind of neat. I think it's the last reality show that I, that I bought huh. that I watched anyway. I don't really watch a lot of TV. Period. I can't sit still very long. I mostly. It's read. hard. Yeah. You. Sh- yeah, reading's fun. Yeah. Yeah, I literally, I have seven books sent from you that I. St- <laughs> <laughs> I've opened which every one you, of them. Which and ones have you read? I started reading. I haven't finished. I started the funeral confessions of a funeral director. It's mm, a good one. Bananas. <laughs> and some kind of crazy. Is so I've started all three, but I've really only, I've opened them. Bananas, I've read a couple chapters. The other two, it's like when I receive the books from you, I open them and I'm like, okay, I'm going to read the first few pages to decide if I'm going to do this book or should I go read the one they haven't started yet? <laughs> you should just pick one and go with it. <laughs> well, I sit down, I put a stack of books up every day and I sit down and I say, read 10 pages out of every book. And I usually have like four to six going. Of all of and those, so I, do that. I would go back to the confessions of a funeral director. I would finish that one before you finished any of the others. Yeah, that was just an appalling title. And I'm like, what the hell is this going to be about? It's not overtly spiritual, but it has spiritual Mm-mm. tones. Um, yeah. It's a really good book. So I don't want to run it. If okay. I was listening, they should go buy it themselves. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I like the do reading. Think, and I'm curious. Do you think he should be impeached? Would Glenn Beck tell you? Would Glenn Beck tell me? <laughs> I I think they've been looking for a reason to impeach him since the day he got elected. I would agree with that. That doesn't mean that there's not one, though. So I don't know. I don't. There's a lot of other information out there about Ukraine that goes back to like 2014. That's not looking good for the Democrats. There there's so many dirty players, and I think there's some dirty players on the Republican side too. Oh, and I think and. And, you know, my husband and I were talking about this today. 
he thinks Trump might be covering for a couple of the Republicans. But I'm like, nah, I think he'll sell them out. He's like dogging everybody. He doesn't care. But there's a lot of dirt on the Democrats. And this whistleblower, man, there's a there's a whole timeline history that traces back 2015 with her family and her involvement in Biden. And I'm like, there's so, so much of the story. Because I don't believe they've released a name. Glenn Beck's been talking about it for about a month. So I can only handle so much of Glenn Beck. Mostly his voice is melodic. He's really good at delivering. But Gl- he did these he, two he specials one... with Blackboard, the chalkboards, I watched, and they were. I watched one of them. Yeah. Fact checked half of it because he links all the resources at the end. Um, mm-hmm. Went back to all of his links and realized that he also edited his fact check sources and used them for dramatic effect. Not that the truth wasn't in what he said, but he often said. Um, he also he, he he did what Jesus did. I've come to do this, do this, and we're not going to finish the chapter in Isaiah. I'm done talking about it. Like I'm not going to finish the quote. Um, you know, I've, I've come for for this. Or you know, like it would be like for God so loved. But it's huh. there. If you go to John three sixteen, it definitely says that. It definitely huh. says that. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, he does do things for dramatic um, effect, but I think they all have to. That Glenn Beck's libertarianism is really easy when you're a millionaire. Um, libertarianism, all his his version of libertarianism is really easy when he's a millionaire. As well What's as, his version? Uh, limited government. Um, I can do whatever I want to do. There should be no regulation. And then uh, a lot of history wrapped in nationalism, not patriotism, wrapped in nationalism, um, which I think is the most dangerous part of Glenn Beck. He wrote a book, history actually, ra- he, he takes the American history and he wraps it in nationalism, not in, in a way that makes America always the protagonist in any story that it's doing. Never the antagonist. Oh, he romanticizes yes. it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. He, but he do you like a, history? I love history. He wrote a book actually oh. called The Overton Window, um, which I liked the book. I just don't like the premise of the book, but it was written well. Are you familiar with the concept of The Overton Window? Refresh me, probably. So, uh, well, it's it's a psychological concept. He just happened to write a novel about it. Um, and so that would be where you, it's as hard as you without a piece of paper, but like, so you start with like a point on the left-hand side and that would be like the most obscene thing that you could think of happening. And it doesn't matter what it is or what the context, like this just is unacceptable. And on the right-hand side, it's equally unacceptable. It's just on the right-hand side, we'll call that politically leaning right. And on the left-hand side, we'll call it politically leaning left. And most okay. of the people are like, I can't handle this. You're crazy. Bernie, you're crazy. Or some anarchist, you're crazy. Like We're going to go to opposite ends of the spectrum. And so the Overton window is that happy place in the middle. And the goal mm, of the Overton yeah. window is to gradually move it one way or towards the next so that you're shifting what becomes acceptable. And only what's in the window is acceptable. And you forget where you were 40 years ago. Or 80 mm-hmm. years ago or 100 years ago of what was so you acceptable. Didn't, um, you didn't like what he did with it because he pushed. No, I a... do like what he does, did with it. But he actually does that with his content. He's constantly, if you go back with Glenn Beck over like a decade, they just play old Glenn Beck. He doesn't sound like the same person that you hear today. And politics haven't changed all that much. But he has changed a lot, especially once he got kicked off of Fox or left Fox, whichever way you want to think about it and started the blaze, his window shifted mm-hmm. dramatically because he needed to find an audience. I don't fault him. For so do you think he moved further right? Uh, no, I think he moved. You think he moved, think he moved further moved, middle? Uh, no, I think uh, I think he divested off onto a different, like he, I think he found a window on a different floor and then shifted that to the right. 
he found a mm. sub audience of uh, nationalistic libertarians and then all of their friends mm. as well. And that's fine. He makes money at it. And that's, I don't fault him for that. I don't disagree that he's brilliant. He's very brilliant. He tells a great story. He's really good at researching. And I loved all the articles that he posted in those videos because it was great. But as I would pause and then control F on the computer and literally find the quote, I would often find, oh, I see what you did there, but you didn't talk about the second paragraph. And so now I'm missing context. And it's the same thing that pisses me off in the church when pastors do that or whatever. Like yeah. you can't do that. You either have all the context or you don't talk for that 10 minutes in the video. Like the context matters. Mm. I don't have any specific examples because I didn't plan to talk about Glenn Beck. So you don't think he's condensing it at all? He's not, you think he's being elusive about it on purpose? Yeah. He sells advertisements oh. on his show. Well, yeah. So everything is intended to keep the audience geared for the next commercial break. But so is Sean Hannity and so is CNN and MSNBC. So I'm not yep. faulting yep. him for that. Yep. Um, I just need no, to know good. that going into it. Um, you know what I mean? So, mm -hmm. yeah. On the, Are you a subscriber to The Blaze? No, no. Oh. Uh, I very, matter of fact, I think the last time I was there was when I saw you post that video. Yeah. And then I was like, yeah, oh. I, I do the cheap route. I, I watch them on YouTube. That's what I do. Um, I, I used to subscribe, but I was like, I got rid of all my subscriptions. I'm like, no. My favorite political commentator is currently uh, Hassan Minaj. Um, he, yeah, he's good. Do you watch his show? It's hilarious. You can oh also, my gosh. He also gives it away for free on YouTube. He, I saw him in an interview. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I just want everybody to be able to watch this. Like, He's really funny. His comedic delivery yeah. is what gets me. because he's And he does the same thing that Glenn does. He's just coming at it from an entirely different bent. Um, yeah. I don't know that he's any more open about it, but it's the comedy that gets me. Did you watch the yeah, most recent one? No, I'm like, oh. I think we're like four or five episodes behind. He was. We have to save him though. I mean, you gotta binge him. I need to watch like uh, more and more and more. Well, they're only like twenty minutes long. Oh, well, I know. Well, tell me That's when you I'm watch so the one behind. on Asylum because he makes a mm. joke about four people, and it'll make sense when you get to the part that I literally rolled on the floor laughing see he does that to me like me and Corey watch him and it was, sometimes i'm rolling and other episodes i'm like i am not in agreement with you on this at all no and i think it was the last episode i've watched the whole episode just kind of sitting there like i don't really like this so how is that a gift like to you how is hassan minaj a gift to I'm going to bring it full Because circle. I had to. What is it that you said? You told your view, your listeners today that they needed to sit with their discomfort uh -huh. and ask why it was discomforting. Uh -huh. I think it's discomforting because I, certain views that paint people, I would say people that I more closely relate to or that I know of more, that I know more of in that painting um, it, it bugs me because I think you don't know those people and I know those people, but I, I don't like to remember that there's still a lot of really nasty people out there and there's a lot of people going through some nasty experiences and it's hard when you want to have a positive mentality and optimistic look on life. Like, no, I want to see the good in all these people. And then no, here's all of the dark sides of these people. Remember they're bad. And it's kind of like hard because you're like, no, not all people are bad. I want to see the good and all. And I always try and defend people. But then it's really hard to. And I think maybe it was speaking to me because I was like, yeah, you probably shouldn't defend those types of people so hard anymore. <laughs> you know, yeah. and it it's difficult because 
I'm not like that. I don't hold those views. But I know people who do. I understand why they do. I don't agree with it. And I don't give them a pass. And I'm not saying they shouldn't change their views. I don't know the approach to get them to change their views yet. I just don't think attacking them is an approach or painting them in this manner is the right approach because that I think will either reinforce it, kind of create like that whole backfire effect, dig in your heels and keep to your views or go at them so aggressively that they just shut down and don't listen to you. Mm -hmm. And so those approaches don't work. And those are the most common approaches with everything. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe it just helps me think harder about developing a different approach because I used to be that way too. I'd read... Like fresh off of white fragility, I was all my friends in the area. I was like, you freaking racist. <laughs> Admit it, you know? And I had a lot of people be like, what are you doing, Danielle? Slow down. And I was like, nope, everyone's a racist. And then I w- went through this feminism phase. I mean, even Corey, I'm like, you're sexist, you know, a patriarchy. And Corey was finally like, you know, your approach really isn't working. It's just not. And I had a lot of close friends, you know, approach me and go, look cool. Do what you're doing. Uh, new game plan. Don't yell at me. That, exactly. Cause you're kind of being an asshole. And so, <laughs> yeah. And that's not, that's not easy to hear. I mean, but I also like criticism. Yeah. My wife so, will do that to I me. Think, She's like, I see what you're posting, but do you know how abrasive you are? Sometimes you're just mean. It's like, oh, which is why I don't really comment on anything anymore ever. Cause I can't make yeah. myself not be mean. Um, well, and that, mean. because people want to understand you in three sentences. Yeah. And if you give off the wrong impression, they're going to forever look at you and like, and I say, fuck that. I will be abrasive. And Corey doesn't say anything. He used to. He used to be like, you should delete that post. <laughs> or mm, I really went to word it that way. And I'd be like, oh, okay, I'll delete it. And I didn't think about it. And maybe he helped me a little bit in softening up but now i kind of i'm like i don't care fuck him i'm gonna say it i'm gonna say it i'll probably delete it but fuck him (laughs) and he's just like okay (laughs) um but at the same turn too i backed away i used to be Corey. you know we used to do (laughs) telling people our secrets we used to like with mutual friends we'd see something i'd be like do you see these people yeah we should we should say something You know, and we kind of go out like this tag team, like, let's educate this person and have this argument on Facebook. It's going to go well. (laughs) You ever done that? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's going to go well. (laughs) No, so, I mean, all that stuff you got to stop doing eventually. The approaches just don't work. Yeah. 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 So what are you sitting with lately that's been uncomfortable? Anything? Mm. No, I've actually been good. I had a rough, yeah. I had a rough few months there in the past. I've been good ever since. Honestly, it's ever since my dog came back, I've been pretty good. Uh, which Aww. sounds sappy. And I don't really care. It doesn't sound she's, sappy. She's somewhere there. She she's is. not right on your foot. No, and, she, she's on the couch she again. Found my son's beanbag. It's become her new. Ah, like, ah I got the beanbag. comfy. Yeah. Oh, good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Although I fully expect that. So I'm going to stop reading Christian books in January. I'm only going to read. Like I'm going to dive into other religions specifically, but it's going to yeah. be so much new content that I don't know what will happen. It might break things. Ooh. I don't even care. Do you know where you're starting? Uh, with whoever says yes, come on to the show first. I probably will start with Islam because I have the most books on that. I got four or five here. Yeah. Yeah. And I have the most close proximity to Islam from than any other religion. But yeah, probably Islam yeah. and then Buddhism and then I don't know where to go. Wicca. Why not? Yeah. Let's do it. 
I practiced for a few years. I don't know anything stuff. about it. So it was so fun. So fun. Yeah. I used to convince people that I could I could put them under spells. No go. joke. I kind of think we can though. I always tried to attribute, you know, positive affirmations in what I was cooking. And so there are these prayers you can say over the things that you're to nourish the souls of the people you're feeding. It was something that I later realized that I was, when I was young, I was just doing fun stuff. I wasn't really thinking deeper about what I was doing. And my son pointed out one time, <laughs> I was in a bad mood and I made an awful meal. And he said, don't cook anymore when you're grumpy. Mm, and I went, why? <laughs> and he said, because it sucks. And then my husband went, you know what? Yeah. The only time you make a bad meal is when you're in a bad mood. And it has, you know, it's not that often, but I started going, wow, I didn't even realize how much we can actually put into the food we're preparing for. Mm. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to be more intentional about that. I'm going to put some, some curiosity for organization in here with some basil and a little bit of uh, motivation to, <laughs> to clean the toilet for my mom. Yes. With the tarragon. Uh <laughs> tarragon is the worst herb. In my spice rack, I hate that thing. Really? It Why? smells awful. It does? To me, it smells like cat pee. Can't do it. What's funny oh. is it tastes good when I cook it. And it's good for you. I have no idea. But anyway, <laughs> that's so there's a Wicca practice mm. that probably lots of Christians are doing. Oh, you better be careful, you Christians. Mm. Practicing that witchcraft. That was actually a fun time for me. And there is um, there's someone called the Church Witch. I follow her on Facebook and I think she is familiar and she's, she's like, she mixes Christianity with astrology and paganism and Wicca and she, she's really cool. Hmm. She probably look in her. Her name is Lauren Burba, the church witch. Mm -hmm. So to close us out, Jimmy Fallon had a Twitter tweet hashtag challenge. So let's see if you can do it. Oh my. Add a word to ruin a song. A word. To Add a word to ruin a song. Are you giving me the song? Um, hit me with your best flu shot. There's mine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, see, I don't know the names of songs. Yeah, so the I I that that's all I came up with, because then I blinked. Hold on. Uh. Purple raincoat. <laughs> oh, I'm trying. <laughs> I think I'm trying to run it too far. Um, oh, you're singing the song in your head. Yeah, but I can't come up with a good song. You should have warned me. Uh, how about this? You just give me a song and I'll run it. Um, See how hard it is? Truth Hurts. Uh, truth Hurts. Oh, God. <laughs> Jimmy uh, Fallon would be so disappointed in you. I'm He'd not, like, get off Twitter. I, don't, I can't work on I, I can't do that. Uh, uh, truth Hurts My Face. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's awful. <laughs> <laughs>